Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Oh, hello there. It is the Bill Press Show. Welcome to your Tuesday edition of the program. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. Bill is out all week. We've got a wonderful slate of guest hosts who will be in all during the week. You've got me for the day, though. And uh, gosh, I just, I never know where to start because there's just so much stuff. But I wanted to start with a story. I actually saw this last week. I meant to do it yesterday when I was hosting. Uh, Our buddy Aspen Soup saying it has... One of the weirder stories out of the Trump administration. So I, I'm not going to talk about Omarosa. I promise I'm not going to talk about Omarosa. But let's not forget that Omarosa headed up the uh, the like veterans outreach program in the White House. And Swin has a story at thedailybeast.com about how Donald Trump got in a fight with veterans groups over... <laughs> Over the movie Apocalypse Now. (laughs) And so I just want to read some of Swin's piece. This is amazing. So they brought someone in, a bunch of different veterans groups. By the way, right-leaning veterans groups, which they all kind of are. And one of the guys brought up Agent Orange. And Donald Trump just says, that's taken care of. And the group was like, what? What, are you what does that even about? mean? What are you talking about that's taken care of? So Trump explained, or the, the veterans explained to Trump, we've really made no progress on this issue at all. You know, you've got Vietnam veterans that are affected by Agent Orange, and they're, they're still fighting health uh, impacts from it. And Trump says, do you even know what Agent Orange is? It's that stuff from the movie. <laughs> no. And he's completely confused. He specifically mentioned the famous helicopter attack scene set to right of the Valkyries in the movie. And Trump refused to accept that he was wrong. And he goes, no, no, I think it's that stuff from the movie. I think you're talking about that stuff from the movie. So then, again, remember, this is a veterans group coming to the White House to talk about how they could get better health care and raise awareness for their issues. Trump 
I'm going to read directly from Swin's piece. Trump then went around the room polling attendees if it was, in fact, Napalm or Agent Orange in the famous scene from that movie. As the gathering, organized to focus on, on important, sometimes life-or-death issues for veterans, descended into a pointless debate over Apocalypse Now that the president simply would not concede despite all evidence. <laughs> he went around the room of veterans and said, like, uh, uh, asked each and every one of them, was it Napalm or was it Agent Orange? Finally, Trump made eye contact with the man who originally brought up the question and asked him if it was Napalm or Agent Orange. The man assured Trump, as did several before him, that it was in fact Napalm and said that he didn't like the Coppola film and believed it to be a disservice to Vietnam War veterans. According to two people in in attendance, Trump then flippantly replied to the Vietnam vet, quote, well, I think you just didn't like the movie. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Next, he's going to be like, we are holding an event to honor one of the great war heroes, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. Yes, exactly. He doesn't know. He does like we, we when we talk when we talk about Trump and like all of the weirdness and the nefarious plot to hijack America and all that. It is not that complicated. It's just not that complicated. He just doesn't know. He just doesn't know. And not only does he not know, he will fight you. It's the worst type of personality where they have no idea what they're talking about, but they do it with such indignation that they that like they will fight over something that they are wrong about. Like imagine imagine a group of veterans coming to the White House and saying like hey we need better health care. We we got a real problem with Agent Orange. And he went around the room and polled every one of them. What do you think it is? Is it Napalm or Agent Orange? These veterans are I mean like it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh so there you go. That's who Donald Trump is. We got a great show. I'll tell you all about it here after a very, very quick break. Stay tuned. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed, it is the Bill Press Show. Hi, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for joining. Whether you're listening to us on your favorite progressive talk radio station or uh, checking out the podcast or you're watching us on Free Speech TV or YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show or any of the great places that you can watch video of the program, we appreciate you being there no matter where you are, no matter how you are uh how you are taking the show in. My name is Peter Ogburn. I'm sitting in today. Don't forget, by the by, you can follow the show on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. I will be taking a gander through the tweets as we get going through the uh, the program. So make sure you send us uh, some, some comments there. Also, I'm on Twitter at Peter Ogburn, at Peter Ogburn, O-G-B-U-R-N, if you want to follow me there. I don't tweet a lot, but I am. I I, I do check Twitter. I still read uh, and check your comments there on Twitter. What a show! What a show we've got on tap today. Uh, we've got political correspondent for the Guardian, Lauren Gambino, will be joining us here in just a couple of moments. Also, the next hour, it's associate news editor and reporter for Axios, Elena Treen, and at eight thirty, politics and policy reporter at Vox, Ellen Nielsen joins us in studio. Oh, look at that! It's an all ladies show. I feel good about it. And, and the ladies are running the show with Ray and McKenna. Hello, hello, hello. Peter using that male privilege to highlight women's voices. That's, hey, oh, I'm yeah. all about it. 
I love women. I have all their albums. I'm a big fan. Uh, so make sure you stay tuned for today's program. Uh, I want to start with a story that didn't, I mean, it got a little bit of play yesterday because anytime that Donald Trump does anything, everybody falls over themselves to cover it. But he and, uh, and Mike Piss had an event at the White House to honor our big strong boys in ICE, the fascist pigs from ICE who are deporting people left and right, which Democrats, rightfully so, I should say, not Democrats, some Democrats, rightfully so, are saying abolish ICE, get rid of ICE. They're bad, they're not good, Uh, get rid of them, get rid of them. But the Republicans just refuse to cede any ground on the ICE uh, issue. So yesterday, Donald Trump decided he was going to have a big old ceremony to honor these brave patriots from ICE. And Ray, can I play the second clip of Donald Trump first, the one where he talks about how we don't play games? Because this is so typical of just like Trumpy Republicanism, where it doesn't really matter what they stand for. It's how they do it. And so here is Donald Trump sort of making these guys out to be, you know, amazing heroes. We need strong people to handle those people. We don't play games, right? We don't play games. Yeah, okay, sure. Uh, One thing I will not argue with the president about, the people in ICE are very strong people. Strong, jackbooted thugs. But yes, they are very strong people. The people are very strong people to get the bad people. Okay, people? <laughs> the best words. The Only biggest the best words. words. Only the best words. Bigliest. <laughs> so then, this is more funny than anything else. So Trump is trying to say that ICE is doing a good job and the Customs and Border Patrol are doing a good job. The Customs and Border Patrol. Now... We're going to do what we do. We're going to call them the CBP, the Customs Border Patrol, CBP, right? So Donald Trump goes off to talk about ICE and the Customs and Border Patrol. We're here today to salute the incredibly brave patriots who keep America safe, the heroes of ICE and CBC. Okay, he said CBC. He said CBC. Now... You know that the CBC is the Congressional Black Caucus. Okay, all right. The true heroes. The true heroes. Here. <laughs> the true heroes and patriots. Yes. And like, okay, he misspoke. All right. It happens. I'm, I've been known to misspeak once in a blue moon. But it happens. He called the Customs and Border Patrol the CBC eight different times in this one little speech. It's not a big speech. It's not a big, long speech. He was just sort of like welcoming and thanking them. Maybe, maybe 10 minutes, if that. He called them the CBC eight different times. He has no idea what he's talking about. And this gets back to what I was saying at at the top of the show. Folks, folks, he has no idea what he's talking about. His brain is like just nothing but chicken McNuggets. That's what he's got between his ears. He has no idea. Just it, spongy, soggy, wet, 
just chicken nuggets. dripping, nasty, disgusting, old chicken McNuggets. That's what he's got. Mm-hmm. Who knows what's going on with that brand? The kind that you put in your car and they stay the same for 75 years. You know, like, we don't eat at McDonald's very often anymore. But when the, when the kids were younger, it was an easy, cheap way to, like, feed the kids. Whatever. Sure. And the Happy Meals are fun. Happy Meals are fun. I well, they used fun. to be fun. They're yeah, not so much I know. fun They're not anymore. so great They're anymore. not so fun yeah, anymore. I know, the I toys know. are garb. But it, it's happened from time to time. Your kid will chop a chicken McNugget under the seat. Folks, that's our president's brain. That's what's happening. Someone picked up the chicken nugget from Peter Ogburn's old yeah. minivan and just put it back through yeah. Trump's ear. Right <laughs> Pop just, it. Yeah, you don't even have to do it. Just boop, doop, like so an much, SD card. Yeah. Like, boop. Right in. There he is. Chicken McNugget brain. And, of course, Mike Piss uh, had to chime in on the whole uh, ice praise yesterday. The American people deserve to know that last year alone, ICE arrested more than 127,000 criminal illegal immigrants, including nearly 5,000 gang members, and ICE rescued nearly 1,000 victims of child exploitation from their captors. Okay, great, great. Um, first of all, the numbers on that aren't great. <laughs> you, get, you rounded up 100,000 people and 5,000 of them are gang members. I um, I'm not great at math, but if if your whole argument is that we've got to stop the MS-13 gangs and the gangs from taking over their country, and you go out and you give the numbers and you say that five percent of what ICE does is rounding up gang members, that's a pretty colossal self-own, if you ask me. We have to keep doing this stuff, and five percent of the people that we've rounded up. We're gang members. The rest, well, there was also a story floating around yesterday. There was a Nazi labor camp guard that was Mm -hmm. uh, uh, caught, detained, and deported to Germany. He was caught by ICE. ICE, they are the people that found him. Uh, I'm not going to even try and uh, pronounce this guy's name. I, I have no idea how to say the name. His first name is J-A-K-I-W. I don't even know how you say that. Mm. Uh, but who cares? He's Nazi. Who, who, who cares? We don't have to say his name. <laughs> gives don't a give a name to this awful person. <laughs> his name is Nazi. Nazi. That's his name. That's his name. So ICE found this guy and sent him back to Germany, and and he will face charges. He's who knows how old he is, but he's not a young guy, right? So, so Okay, great. Okay, great. 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 Nazi guard, rounded up, uh, too old to actually do anything at this point, but but still should absolutely uh, be, be sent away. So that's good. That's a good thing that ICE did. I'll give ICE credit for that. Here's another thing that ICE did last week. I'm going to read directly from NPR that wrote about this. Uh, Jose Arona Lara and his wife Maria had had a schedule had scheduled a cesarean section and were heading to the hospital in San Bernardino, California, when they stopped for gas. Uh, Joel is the guy's name. Joel, I think it's his name. Joel. Uh, Joel was detained because of an outstanding warrant for his arrest in Mexico related to a homicide case, according to immigration officials. After pulling into a gas station. Surveillance footage shows two other vehicles pulling up alongside the couple's van. Uh, ICE officials 
force them both. They go to the hospital to have a baby. They go to the hospital so that she can have a C-section to have a baby, a scheduled C-section. They go there to have a baby. ICE officials force the couple out of the van and ask for identification. When the wife, Maria, had hers, she gave it to them. The husband says he left his at home. When he could not provide his ID, uh, the agents had asked. Uh, the agents took him into custody. They then left the woman at the station by herself, where she was forced to drive herself to the hospital, where she could have a C-section, and she gave birth to her fifth child. Uh, ICE spokeswoman Lori Haley said that the man Arona Laura quote was brought to ICE's attention due to an outstanding warrant issued for his arrest in Mexico on homicide charges. End quote. So there. That's who ICE is. That's who ICE is. A couple on their way to give birth to a baby, and they pull, they they surround the van. They ask the guy for his ID. When he doesn't have it, they took him away, presumably to never be heard from again by his wife. Like that, she's who knows when if she's going to hear from him again. And she had to drive herself to the hospital to give birth. That's who ICE is. That's who these brave patriots are. That's that's what ICE is doing. So when we talk about abolishing ICE and we talk about getting rid of these, again, fascist pigs that work in ICE, this is who we're talking about. This is who they're talking about. For every Nazi that they send away back to Germany, which, look, it's a good story. For every Nazi that they send away back to Germany, there are... Hell, thousands of stories about people like this. Fathers, mothers, children being ripped from their families and sent away to presumably never be heard from again. That's what they're doing. That's who ICE is. And this, supported by the party that claims to care so much about the sanctity of the family unit. Do you think that they give a rip about this family? Not even a little bit. It's all BS. Bogus hogwash garbage. Oh, God. That's who ICE is. By the way, I have to address something because yesterday I talked about John Brennan and his security clearance and all these other people yelling and screaming about the security clearance. People got a little mad at me because I said some nasty things about John Brennan. John Brennan is not a nice guy. John Brennan is not a good guy. Yes, John Brennan worked for Barack Obama. He led the CIA. He oversaw multiple killings of innocent civilians via drone and then went in front of Congress and testified there were no drone killings of innocent civilians, which we know and knew at the time was a lie. And I understand there's a lot of love for Barack Obama and people that he surrounded himself with, but John Brennan and any, I mean, hell, any of these national security people, I don't care. I don't care who it is. Why do you have a security clearance after you leave office? Why do you go? Why, do you, why? The only reason, and we talked about this last week while you were out. So this is one reason that I've heard and that we talked about is because they are often used for institutional knowledge. So technically, Brennan can no longer talk about anything that happened with anyone because he no longer has a security clearance. OK. All right. Fair enough point under normal circumstances. Right. They're not gonna use, he's not doing anything for the Trump administration. Right. I mean, they weren't They're tapping into him. that knowledge anyway. You know what he's using it for? 
is to get a lobbying gig, to go on cable news. That's what they're using it for. I feel absolutely, and, and all of them. McRaven, who tried to like fall on his sword and say, take my security clearance. Yeah, yes, you should take your security clearance. Now, I also think that Donald Trump is clearly being political about how he's using it, and he's, you know, like playing games here with these people. And that's also a little crappy. But like, this should be a rule. You don't get to keep your security clearance after you leave. You're done. But it's also so dumb because um, I think it was last Wednesday's press briefing when Sarah Huckabee Sanders was listing. Somebody asked the question, who else is on this list uh, to be stripped of right. their security clearance, basically. Right. Right. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders rattled off a bunch of names and some of them already don't yeah. have security clearances. They don't, understand. So they don't understand what they're even doing. No, they don't. They don't. No, like they keep talking about like James Co. James Comey. James Comey lost it. He was fired. Yeah, he doesn't have yeah, it. Yeah, that was stripped when he was fired. <laughs> These people are amazing. You know what? I, it's, it's like I said. I said this already a couple times. They just don't know. They just don't know. See, the troubling thing is that there are people that are waiting in the wings that I think are like pulling the strings, yeah. and they know. But people like Trump are just dumb pawns yes. advancing this agenda. Totally, totally. So, like, yes, take John Brennan's. Take William McRaven, take John, uh, James Clapper, take all their security clearances. I don't care. I don't give one flying F if these guys go on cable news without their security clearance. Boy, do I do I care at all? No. No. Not to mention, I mean, this was classified material at the time, and I get that there was an ongoing investigation, whatever, but Brennan in September, was approached by some reporters saying, hey, we have some inside information that basically, like, there's an investigation going into Russian meddling. And he said, I, like, have no information on that, and I can't give you any information Which is not that. true. I mean, I know, I don't know. I feel conflicted about it because, of course, like, it is classified information at that point. But, like, I feel like that is just purposefully misleading Americans. It's not doing his job. It's not doing his job. Right. It's, if nothing else, that's that's what it is. Uh, remember, we are taking your comments on Twitter at BP show at BP show. We would love to get your comments there again on any topic at any time. Um, OK, so th one of the other things I wanted to, to talk about yesterday, we played the clip of Rudy Giuliani saying truth isn't truth. So Donald Trump had to sort of like go clean up the mess that his big boy Rudy made. And, and I mean, look. Again, this is... It's a big mess. It's a, Oh, it's a big <laughs> mess. It's a big old mess. But that's what, I mean, that's what Rudy Giuliani does. He just makes a huge mess. And the fact that Donald Trump... Think about this. You hire a lawyer to clean up your mess. And the roles are so reversed now that Rudy is making the mess. And then Donald Trump has to go out there and clean up the mess that his lawyer made while trying to clean up the mess that Donald Trump made. It's... It's sloppy, people. At best, it's sloppy. <laughs> At best, it's sloppy. So they keep throwing around this word perjury trap, which I mentioned this yesterday. I'm a big, big fan of uh, the Slow Burn podcast. They did a great one on uh, Watergate, and season two is underway. They got a couple of episodes up, and it's about the Bill Clinton impeachment stuff. And they have – I mean, again, it's only two episodes, but they talk about the – the sort of the inception of the Monica Lewinsky mm -hmm. scandal was a, a real perjury trap. Mm -hmm. 
where they pressured her and essentially like kept her in a hotel room for hours and hours and hours trying to get her to spill the story of Bill Clinton because they knew that he had this deposition coming up about Whitewater and hopefully, hopefully he would lie about the Lewinsky thing. That is a perjury trap. That is a perjury trap. Now, look, there are two sides to a perjury trap. You have to be willing to lie. So it's not like these people are, you know, uh, victims necessarily. But that is not what Donald Trump is going through. Like, Donald Trump is going to go in there and just lie about everything. And that doesn't that doesn't count as a perjury trap. Like, trying to find out the truth and then you going in and lying about it is not a perjury trap. <laughs> you drew me into this room and forced me to open my mouth. Right. I mean, but, and but, I'm going to lie, and you know it, so this is a perjury right, trap. Right, Like, I, what, 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 do words have any meaning anymore? No. By so, the way, perjury trap is a pretty good band name. Perjury trap would be a great band name. I mean. I'm stealing it. BP no, show band meeting after this show. If there's not a perjury trap band already, we're going to start one. We'll do some research in our upcoming break. If anybody out there uh, wants to start a band with us. <laughs> We'll be selling our merch. We're a merch-only yeah, band. Got, yeah, the merch table is in the back. Uh, no music, just merch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going to be a band that plays no music. We just sell <laughs> merchandise. Bless up. Thank we're, you. Th- thank you very much, folks. Yeah, we're just going to not perform. We're just going to sell stuff. Um, so, so, so this is a quote from Trump in an interview with Reuters where he talks about this perjury trap and, again, cleaning up the mess that Rudy Giuliani made by saying truth isn't truth. Donald Trump said, uh, quote, so if I say something and Comey says something and it's my word against his and he's best friends with Mueller, so Mueller might say, well, I believe Comey. And even if I'm telling the truth, that makes me a liar. That's no good. Even if I'm telling the truth, that makes me a liar. Those are the words that fell out of his mouth while talking about the Robert Mueller investigation while trying to talk about a perjury trap. Also essentially reiterating what Giuliani had said. That's just another iteration of the truth is not yeah, the truth. But that's the thing. That's the thing. It is That's how he's cleaning it up. It Right, but like also if I'm one of these honking gomers that supports Donald Trump and I heard that, I go, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Like, that's sellable to my base if I'm Donald Trump, which is sad about Trump and his base, but, like, that's totally sellable. He's turned it into a he said, he said. Now, look, then you've got to worry about Robert Mueller or whoever, like, however this plays out, making the actual case. But, like, it's amazing. It's truthy. It's truthiness, which has been around. I mean, like, they're just making it up. Um, I also, <laughs> I wanted to read this. I want to read two paragraphs verbatim. This is from a transcript that Donald Trump made at a uh, fundraiser in New York last week. And he was talking about renewable energy. I give credit to Daniel Dale uh, on Twitter who wrote all this up and has this up. This is a verbatim. I want you to listen to this. You're going to lose your mind. It's so good. It's so Trumpy. I'm actually scared to hear this. No, it's great. It's great. All right. I am not making a word of this up. I'm reading it verbatim, starting now. 
You remember Hillary with the coal, right? Sitting with the miners at the table, remember? That wasn't so good for her. So the people of West Virginia and all over, you look at Wyoming, you look at so many different places where they just, Pennsylvania, where they just loved what we did. And it's clean coal and we have the most modern procedures, but it's a tremendous form of energy in the sense that in a military way, think of it, coal is indestructible. That's paragraph one. <laughs> We're just getting started. Coal is indestructible. Coal cannot be coal cannot be uh destructed. Also, just put a little check mark, underline the word military, because I have a point about that too. No. Okay. All right. Next paragraph. You can blow up a pipeline. You can blow up the windmills. You know the windmills. Boom, boom, boom. Parentheses. Mimicking windmill sound. Bing, bing, bing. Mimes shooting a large gun. That's the end of that one. If the birds don't kill it first. The birds could kill it first, folks. They kill so many birds. You look underneath some of those windmills, it's like a killing field. The birds. But, you know, that's what they're going to do. They were going to windmills. And, you know... Don't worry about when the wind doesn't blow. I said, what happens when the wind doesn't blow? Well, then we have a problem. Okay, good. They were putting them in areas where they didn't have much wind, too. And it's a subsidiary. Subsidiary. Folks, you need to you need subsidy for windmills. You need subsidy. You need subsidy. Who wants to have energy where you need a subsidy? Folks. So, uh, yeah, anyway, the coal is doing really great. End quote. <laughs> Is that the greatest? That is, that is art. It is, it makes absolutely no goddamn sense at all. First this of all, is like straight up a page out of Gertrude Stein. Like, makes, what is this? First of all, he's mimicking windmill sounds and acting like as, he's shooting also, a large gun. And then says, boom, boom, boom. What windmill sounds like boom, boom, boom? And then says, <laughs> If the birds don't kill it first, the birds could kill it first, folks. They kill so many birds. Yeah, so he what? makes this semantic jump between the bird killing the windmill and then the windmill killing mountains of birds. Like, <laughs> he what? Says, you look underneath some of those windmills, it's like a killing field. The birds. Also, we have... <laughs> I am so tickled by this. And I know it's sad, yes, but that's genuinely hilarious. That is genuinely hilarious. Boom, boom, boom. Windmill sounds. The birds are going to kill it, but then the birds are all going to die. I mean, look, I don't want to be conspiratorial or say that, like, he's clearly suffering from some mental illness <laughs> and I'm not trying to make light of it either. No, me either. I just, like... But this is who's running the country. I feel like it gets increasingly harder to offer meaningful analysis or in like commentary on anything when this is this is what's coming out of the president's mouth. There's no explanation for it. There is no commentary on that. That is this is that is presented without comment. I just like show after show is just like presented without comment. I, I, for, for anybody that wants to accuse me of making that up, that is verbatim. I didn't make up one word of that. That is. All from his speech. That Not is to mention, directly from the transcript. We have had multiple um, defense reporters on who cover the military and multiple vets on who have talked about how the military is actually trying to lead the way in clean energy because they sure. see the effects of climate change sure. firsthand. Sure. Sure, absolutely. But also, like, I don't even know what you do with that. I just don't even know what you do with that. You know what it really comes down to? You know what it's all about? What this really is? Um... He 
lost a battle with a windmill farm in one of his golf courses and probably in Scotland. And like windmills are the enemy. That's what that's what happened. That is what happened. So also the image of somebody shooting at a windmill, the whole thing just makes no sense. Nothing makes sense. <laughs> Nothing makes any sense anymore. Forever and ever. Amen. We'll take a very, very quick break. We've got lots to talk about. Political correspondent for The Guardian, Lauren Gambino, is going to be here uh, after a very, very quick break. My name is Peter Ogburn. Make sure you are following the show on Twitter, at BP Show, and send us some comments. We'll read those when we come back from the break. Stay tuned, everybody. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. It is The Bill Press Show. Thank you for tuning in. 35 minutes past the hour. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. Thank you all so much for uh, your comments already. By the way, we were kidding. We're going to start a band called Perjury Trap and not play music. We've already put that out there. Uh, Somebody uh, pointed out that that would be a great name for a bar, too. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I'm going to change my Twitter handle right now to Perjury Trap uh, because it's not taken. Your secret Twitter uh, account? It's not going to be. If I know my password, I don't know my password. (laughs) (laughs) When was the last time you tweeted? My last tweet was of a skeleton spinning around, and I think I said me waiting for 2020. Like Deal. Yeah. Deal. Okay. So I'm not tweeting again until 2020. Okay. All right. So uh, follow us on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. I am thrilled to have our next guest in studio. She is Lauren Gambino, political correspondent at The Guardian. Hi, Lauren. Hi. How are you? Good, good, good. Good to see you. Thank you so much for coming in. Your first trip to the show. Yes. Sadly, you're here with the JV team. <laughs> no, no, very sorry. Exciting. Next yeah. time you come in, Bill will Bill will definitely be here. Uh, but thank you for coming in. So uh, you write for the Guardian with our friend Sabrina Siddiqui. Yes, yes, she's my yeah. The two of us we were we work together side by side. Nice. <laughs> yeah. She'll be here later on this week hosting yeah. the show too. Just uh, in case you guys were wondering. So you cover a lot of uh, the the midterm beat, the electoral beat. Uh, I, I really loved your piece, America's New Opposition, the women standing up to Trump. And you write about, it, it, as the lead says, uh, a refugee, a Native American, a transgender woman. These primary winners are changing the face of the progressive left. These are the people that are now facing Donald Trump's Republican Party. How are they doing so far? I mean, pretty good, actually. I think it's probably no surprise that, you know, suddenly we're seeing record numbers of Native American women, of um, immigrant, refugee, uh, you know, women that are, you know, are themselves feel vulnerable in the, you know, in the Trump era. And then, you know, minorities, especially people of color who feel especially vulnerable. Um, So, yeah, so I think it's no surprise that you're seeing these these women step forward for um, some for the first time. Some have uh, have already you know, been in politics for a little bit, but uh, they're, you know, some are doing really well. It looks like, you know, um, it looks like we're going to make some history in November. Clearly some, some are in good positions to do that. You know, I think when you look at the Vermont governor's race, yeah. I, I don't know if she's going to be able to pull this off uh, mm. to be the first um, transgender governor. Um, but, you know, but but just her winning in the first place is pretty historic. And it shows, I think, the sort of groundswell of support they have. Yeah, it's a really big deal. Uh, but you wrote about several different women, including uh, Christine Hallquist, who you just mentioned, yeah. candidate for governor in, in Vermont. Um, 
you spent some time in in Michigan. You wrote about uh, Elon Omar. She's a candidate for Congress. She's a former Somali refugee, uh, a woman. I think that it like at this particular time in history where we're having these conversations of refugees and women and all of it, like it, she is the perfect candidate to face someone like Donald Trump. And she's kind of positioned herself like that, uh, you know, on the campaign trail. She said, I think there was a quote from her victory night, which was something along the lines of like, electing me is sort of a rebuke to the president because I stand for everything he's gone after and he's attacked. So I think, yeah, I think people are really looking to voices like hers to sort of stand up for people um, yeah. and really stand up to the president. You know, it's it is not that that's all that she and other candidates are of offering, course. but is that a message that... Um, resonates with people, do you think? It's certainly a message resonating with Democrats. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, in a district like hers, that works. Um, but you've seen across the country, you know, I would say in the Michigan governor's race in the primary, uh, we saw um, uh, um, Abdul Al-Sayed, he didn't win. Yeah, and right, he, right, right. He was, you know, he was running also on a progressive platform. So it wasn't just this uh, being the first Muslim governor. That wasn't just his his only position. Um, so I think his politics probably were more of the reason he lost the primary. But nonetheless, Democrats didn't get behind him. And he would have also, you know, he said, I would be a giant middle finger to the president. And that wasn't <laughs> enough, you know. So, well, it's, um, it's interesting, right? Because we talk about this a lot on the show of, of you know, like there's this movement of, uh, that's like impeach Trump and that's the only thing. Right. That's the only issue. We've got to impeach Trump. You got the Tom Steyer stuff. Well, you know, I, was just, I should say I was just in Netroots and um, yeah, you know, Tom Steyer's message didn't really land. Like this impeachment, um, he got up there, you know, he gave his his uh, pitch on impeachment and it just kind of fell flat in the room. Um I don't know if that was the setup, you know, they he was the first speaker and they went through this whole uh, long setup about we have more diverse speakers than ever before. There yeah. are more women, more people of color and then out walks Tom Steyer. Oh. So, so I don't know if it was that. But but at the same time, you know, he was really talking to a crowd. You think this would be red meat. And uh, it did, the impeachment didn't land. Yeah. The you know, I'm torn on this. Yeah. Truly. Like, I think that if you're running and your plat your whole platform is. I'm going to impeach Donald Trump, or I'll vote to impeach Donald Trump. I think people are looking for more than that. Certainly. But also, like, you know, if you're a pretty progressive Democrat and you're watching what's going on, and like, yeah, you would maybe want to see Donald Trump get impeached. So, like, I wouldn't necessarily shy away from it, but I think you have to have more on your platform than that. But, you know, to back back to your, your piece, um, there was so much written about the female candidates this mm -hmm. time around because there are just so many. And call it a reaction to Donald Trump. We saw what he said on the Access Hollywood tape yeah. in the uh, you know months before the election. It, it was a cut so deep for so many people that, like, of course, there are going to be more female candidates. And I think that women candidates running for office are able to sort of make a more compelling case against Donald Trump, right? I think that's right. I think I think there was a couple factors as well, though. In a way, Donald Trump sort of these women will say this when they saw Donald Trump win, they thought, well, OK, if he can be president with no prior experience, yeah. like so can I, you know, like right. I can run, I can win. I mean, many of these women have incredible biographies, maybe their first time candidates in the political ring, but 
they have, you know, we've seen these incredible veterans, like just a really range of incredible biographies. So I think these women saw, yeah, total opportunity, you know, before every study showed women had to be asked so many times to run, you know, it was yeah. like this constant, like, please run, please run. And then once they decided to run, raising money was just a huge hurdle. And women still face these challenges for sure. But suddenly, you know, suddenly the bar is in a way been lowered. Well, I think, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. But I also think that, like, look, raising money for a political thing is a, is a hard thing to do. But, like, when you're a woman and you're running against a guy like Donald Trump, I don't want to say it's easy, but, like, it's an easier sell. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I mean, many of them are leaning into that, I think, and... You know, many of them have sort of, we're seeing a number of doctors run and they're, you know, so that they're taking this position of like, look, I should be at the table. We're yeah. not just, it's not just Trump, but it's a lot of Republicans who are making decisions about health care. Like, I, we need women at the table for these conversations and women with, you know, medical background. Donald Trump cannot speak to women's health care or anybody's health care or anything at all, really. So, like, yes, that you need more women at the table to talk about women's health care. Yes, especially in a room with Donald Trump. Yes, I agree with that. <laughs> um, I'm going to ask you maybe an unfair question, but we ask everybody that covers this stuff. Uh, chances of Democrats taking back the House? Well, 538 put out their forecast, which makes it easy. <laughs> I like the deflection. I like it. I know. It's a professional move. I dig it. Go ahead. Um, yeah, so they have, you know, three out of four, but they're making this big emphasis where it's like, okay, Democrats have all the external factors working in their favor, but it could go it could go south really easily because a lot of- Because they're Democrats. <laughs> of course, it could go south really easily. You said it, not me. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's because of the districts that they're playing in, you know, yeah. a few points in polling and they're kind of, yeah, they're on the losing end of a lot of these races. Um, so they have to take everything seriously and they've obviously got to win. I mean, I think that's what you see all these, you know, internal struggles in the Democratic Party. But it's it is because, you know, the race isn't going to be decided in in Queens. It's going to be decided right. in these really sort of purple, red-leaning districts. And I think, yeah, that, so it's just like, if there's a wave, they're good. They could win by, you know, we could see a huge takeover of the House. It could go the other way where you just sure. see them barely lose the House. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the range, which isn't really incredible. And I know a very boring answer to the question. <laughs> <laughs> I respect it. No, you got to give that. I, I want to read a, a tweet that I saw this morning from U.S. House editor of from the Cook Political Report, who's nonpartisan. Uh, they just, you know, they just cover the polls and, and, and things like that. Uh, Dave Wasterman, he says, a long-term problem for Democrats, a majority of the Senate now represents 18% of the country's population. And that has to do with, you know, the way that the Senate is made up. You've got people like Chuck Grassley and folks that are from fairly rural states, and they dominate laws for the entire country while they represent represent. 18% of the population and 60% of the Senate now represents just 24% of the country's population. So this is like a problem that Democrats are going to have to face, not necessarily by running smart races, but like, how do you fix that? Can you fix that? Yeah. That just seems like a structural problem. Right. I mean, it's maybe only going to get worse if yeah. more people, you know, sort of move to these big urban areas yeah. and um i mean short of totally changing the way we 
elect, you know, the way our system runs. Which I'm on board for, by the way. Do it. Do it. I mean, but like, who's going to go out there and and say it? And how are you going to make that something that does not spark an all out war, figuratively, in like in politics? I mean, in the short term, I certainly can't see them resolving that anytime soon. Because that's the only thing, really, that keeps these Republicans in power. Is this. They realize that they've lost the culture war. They realize that they've lost a lot of the the policy uh, stuff. But because they've got that majority, they're not going to give that up. They're just not going to give that up. I mean, yeah, the Senate's its own beast. Because, you know, in the House, I think, you know, with the census and with sort of more attention to gerrymandering, I think, you know, that can sort of be resolved in a more democratic way. And that seems more possible. But the Senate is just... I mean, that seems, yeah, I mean, yeah. Democrats really just need to turn people out. I, I, it yeah. sounds so simple, but I mean, there are, you know, when you look at who didn't vote in 2016, it's an incredible number of, and, you know, a lot of these states were decided on very small margins. So if, I mean, I, I can't say this is going to help in maybe Iowa, but, yeah. you know, I mean, Iowa has universities. Iowa sure. has, you know, big cities where they could try to turn people out, try to get people registered. Um, I but yeah, it's certainly, it's, you know, it's one of those long term It's just like a problem that's just, you look at it and it's just really depressing if you're a Democrat. Right. It's just really depressing. Uh, okay. Well, let's switch gears. I want to ask you about uh, Brett Kavanaugh because you've written about Brett Kavanaugh. We we're talking a little bit off the air. I mean, this is just, this is moving ahead, full steam ahead. Nothing is really slowing this nomination and confirmation process down. Um, I, I want to talk, first of all, about the, the records. You hear all these Democrats talk about the releasing of the records, and we haven't seen the records. Is this a shadier process than we're used to seeing from a Supreme Court nominee? I don't know if it's shadier. I mean, it's just that he's one of those characters that uh, I think, was it maybe Durb- Senator Durbin who called him the Forrest Gump of Republican politics? Like, he's just been at every major event. So there's the records for someone like him are, are massive, you know, yeah. from the Bush White House to, oh, uh, gosh, you know, pres- uh, the Clinton. The Clinton um, stuff. I want to ask you specifically about the Clinton stuff. Yeah, because we but, got that lovely memo yesterday. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. W- w- without getting into too many of the specifics. <laughs> Talk to us about that memo a little bit. Uh, so that was a memo written by Brett Kavanaugh, who was working for Ken Starr's uh, special investigati- uh, investigation team looking into the Whitewater scandal, which, of course, uh, morphed into the Lewinsky scandal. Um, and he wrote this memo to Ken Starr and the, the rest of the team basically saying, we we should not go easy on President Bill Clinton. We need to ask uh, ask him. And he lists these very explicit, very graphic questions that he wants to ask Bill Clinton about uh, in relation to Monica Lewinsky and their sexual affair. I'll let Peter read them if he wants to. Um, <laughs> no, um, n- n- no, I don't think I'm going to read them this early in the morning. But uh, but it, they were very, very graphic. Almost to the point of like, what are you getting at here, dude? Right. Yeah. They, I mean, it's a surprising memo just because it is so graphic. But also when you take a step back and read it, he clearly makes this case that, you know, a president should not be spared in any. Sure. Any, you know, we should ask him. He, he clearly lied about this affair. And, you know, what else has he lied about? So I think if you apply that, you know, to 2018, that's very interesting yes. because he's Brett Kavanaugh himself has sort of changed his position on whether a president should should face these kind of inquiries, investigations at all. 
And then, you know, obviously Trump has, is facing a series of investigations from the special counsel on down. So it raises a lot of questions that we'll certainly hear Democrats ask about in the confirmation hearing, which, as you mentioned, is rapidly approaching. Really? It's going to be here soon. That's something that we've heard Democrats talk about a lot, right, of where does he stand on the idea of presidential authority, presidential power, what should they get away with, get away with, it sounds, but you know what I mean. Like, what should they be held accountable for and all this? But like, like you said, he didn't want to give any kind of break to Bill Clinton. He went into graphic, almost fanfic type detail about what happened with Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. I would just hope that he would apply the same standard to any president, Donald Trump or whoever uh, is president next. Yeah, he'll certainly be asked about that. (laughs) But I don't think that that's going to be the thing that gets him because we know what's going to happen, right? So in terms of the pushback, in terms of an opposition, um, is there one? Because I have to be honest, like, I I realize it's an uphill battle for Democrats. I realize that stopping this would be very, very, very hard to do. And I'm not able to provide the insights on what they should do, frankly. But I'm also not a senator. So, (laughs) yet. (laughs) But, but, like, what does the opposition look like in this book? Because I haven't seen much. Well, yeah, and the the troubling thing, I think, for a lot of Democrats is that's what Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski are saying as well. And they're the two that, you know, Democrats need to kind of yeah. oppose this guy. Um, but I, so to, to give credit where credit's due, the Democrats, the sort of the same coalition of people, uh, give or take a few groups, are trying to build, rebuild the health care playbook. You know, they're trying to build this coalition they're gonna they're gonna be uh, at the capitol today there, there's it's gonna be some of the similar protests you know diane's uh sending tons and tons of letters to specifically susan collins and lisa murkowski but you know also putting a lot of pressure on the red state democrats who yeah. have not said what way they'll vote so there is this sort of opposition mounting and mobilizing but i do think it's really hard especially and you know this was done with the intent of this, uh, I think to get people mobilized around Kavanaugh in September, but keeping the focus on the midterms in November, it's just a lot to ask of people. And it's a lot, um, you know, and, you know, to be fair, the if you see the so-called opposition, like they've been asked to do a lot these last sure. 18 months or however long it's been. The healthcare, you know, protests uh, are obviously a standout, but, you know, there's also been the previous Supreme Court nominee, so they've been tapped for, for yeah. a lot. Yeah. And so I do wonder if there's sort of just this waning interest and, you know, clearly there's a lot of excitement around the midterms, and so maybe they're just sort of saving their powder for that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I understand the frustration. I understand the the sort of resignation on it because, like, as soon as I saw the Kavanaugh thing and I was like, oh, of course, this is just going to be done. And, like, I, I just resigned myself to – like, okay, yeah, he's going to get confirmed, you know, whatever. But it's been, like, he's been the nominee for a while. And the confirmation hearing is, like, they start, like, next week, basically, or, like, a week and a half. Like, it's they're here. And I, I haven't seen any sort of real coordinated pushback. Well, I think it's just the constant problem for Democrats, um, really anyone in the Trump era, but, you know, specifically for Democrats who aren't in power and are trying to get airspace. It's like, where do you find 
the way in when you're fighting against a, cr a story that's just, you know, as crazy as Omarosa or, right. you know, there's just like no space for people to pay attention to something that's obviously going to be, you know, long term, way more significant to the country and have a way bigger and longer impact yeah. on, on U.S. politics and, and really could reshape, a, you know, a lot of social issues that we thought were sort of set in stone. Um, but yeah, when you're competing against some of these major sort of way more salacious, way more exciting stories. I think um, that, I think that's just sort of, I don't know if that's a DC thing or just a country thing. Like we just are so obsessed with the stories that really kind of don't matter. And we're just letting the, the real story just slide by us. Well, I can tell you that from what I write, you know, it's, it's always the stories about for example, last week, Omarosa, that get the most <laughs> views. And then you write, you know, I did a piece a few weeks ago about the the Kavanaugh opposition. And, yeah, that it just didn't. Well, like, it, that's, a, that's the thing. And I wonder if this is just, like, a symptom of the Trump era or if this is just who we are as a society. Like, that's, I mean, not that I don't expect you to have an answer to that question. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, like, it's just, you know, we're so worried and and it's gossipy really it's gossipy is what it really comes down to all the white house gossip and the omarosa stuff which i keep using that example because it just feels so silly and there are like real serious issues that are doing damage to the country that we're just kind of like yeah but also isn't this amazing isn't this crazy that like melania doesn't live with her husband sometimes and it's like who cares Right. But I mean, I think it's that reality TV mindset that they capitalized on. Right. You know, yeah. like that's the playbook. We all fell for it. You know, and we did. We're yeah. all guilty of that. Yeah. This is the this is the this is the like culmination of all of these years of this craziness in this country. We have a reality TV host as president and we just sort of, you know. Follow the things that don't matter. So on the on the Supreme Court, we've only got a couple minutes left. But like, I hate to keep throwing these like huge ideas at you. Uh, but there has also been a movement to sort of like just completely change the Supreme Court. Like, let's get rid of lifetime appointments. Let's add more justices. Let's let whoever is president, uh, you know, be able to pick a whole new set of Supreme Court justices. Right? And like, will we ever see any kind of, because I'm a pessimist on this, and I know it's probably worth fighting for, but I just don't think we're ever going to get there. That seems so difficult, especially especially with the way, like we were talking about earlier, the way the system's sort of set up, it's also a really sort of um, major, I guess, power for Republicans. Yeah. You know, the Supreme Court, they've been sort of successfully able to funnel their candidates towards the Supreme Court. And now you're finally seeing the culmination of this where we might get a very conservative Supreme Court. But, you know, this took decades for them to get. And I don't think they're going to give up that sort of pipeline and influence and power, especially when their power might be waning elsewhere. Um, you know, executive branch, long term yeah. demographics don't look great for them. Um, yeah, there's certain areas where you think, OK, if this is something Republicans can hold on to and certainly, you know, five having you know, now already two lifetime appointments. I don't know. It's just something that would be, I don't I don't see them letting go of that easily. I don't see a consensus built anywhere around I'll, that. I'll say this about Republicans. I think that they saw, as I mentioned before, they, they lost the culture war. They've lost a lot of ground politically. Um, and so this is their, the only way that they can survive. And this is sort of how they have structured the party, essentially, is cram the, the courts filled with very conservative judges. That's the other, uh, talking about things that we don't cover enough. 
like the 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 judges that have been confirmed in the Trump era, so many, so many, and so it doesn't matter in some ways who the president is, you know, or who or whether or not there's a blue Congress or a blue Senate. Like the judges are going to get things done that will please Republicans. Yeah, I think. I mean, I. You have to give them credit because they saw the writing yeah, on the wall in totally. a way and said, OK, we're going to make this huge effort, you know, and we're going to start pushing conservative uh, judicial nominees at sort of every level. I mean, you have from the very lowest level in, in states to, yeah, now to the Supreme Court. And I mean, yeah, on the one hand, polls show, for example, on the issue of abortion. Uh, yeah. So, you know, the culture wars yeah. are kind of wrapping up. But I mean, with people on the judiciary, maybe not. Lauren Gambino from The Guardian. Thank you so much for going joining us here on The Bill Press Show. Come back soon. This Thanks. is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of The Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. And on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed, it is The Bill Press Show. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We appreciate you, whether you're watching us on Free Speech TV or YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show or checking out the podcast or listening to us on your favorite radio station all around the country. We're on in Asheville. We're on in Indiana. We're on in Chicago. Shout out WCPT. Uh, thank you for joining us. Wherever you are, we appreciate it. Remember to follow us on Twitter, too, at BP Show, at BP Show. My name is Peter Ogburn. I am sitting in for Bill Press today. I am lucky enough to be joined in studio from Axios, Associate News Editor and Reporter for Axios, Elena Treen. Hi, Elena. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming in. You can follow her on Twitter, at Elena Treen. That's A-L-A-Y-N-A-T-R-E-E-N-E. I'm only going to say it once, but that's how you find her. <laughs> that's how you find her. Uh, thanks for coming in. Yeah. Uh, how's your summer going? It's great. It's yeah? going, yeah, really well. Not it's so, really quiet in the newsroom. I was going to say, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> normally, we talk, I talked about this a little bit yesterday. Like, I've been doing this show with Bill for years and years and years. And we always dread August. Right. Always dread August. And we'd always have, like, a couple different segments that we'd have in the can that we'd take for them. It was like, oh, we'll just save that for August. Mm-hmm. And, like, nothing else is Evergreen going content. on. Right. Yeah. Nothing <laughs> else is going on in August. Except now, in the age of Trump and uh, uh, August is crazy. Oh, always. August is completely insane. Mm-hmm. So whether it's, you know, the Mueller stuff, or we had Omarosa to talk about, we're going to talk about that a little bit more with you sure. uh, when we come back from this break, but like just completely crazy, just a completely crazy summer. No, it's never a dull moment with this administration. That's a good way to put it. Exactly. That's a good way to put and it. And even on the Hill, I mean, Mitch McConnell yeah. said only one week of recess. Oh, that's uh, right. So the poor, uh, poor Hill staffers scrambling to rearrange their vacations and whatnot but um so they're here as well i mean it hasn't been as exciting as you know they probably thought right but um no i mean still a lot of news for us to be covering so it's so been by fun the, 
by the way, one story that I wanted to get into from overnight, uh, those of you that listen to the show, you know I'm from South Carolina, just got back from South Carolina, um, just up the way in North Carolina, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, last night, protesters gathered at UNC Chapel Hill around a statue called the Silent Sam statue. I didn't know about this. This was not on my radar necessarily, but it's basically the Silent Sam statue has been there since 1913, and it's sort of a nameless, faceless uh, statue to all of the Confederate soldiers that died in the Civil War. And last night, about 200 students gathered around Silent Sam and took it down. They brought it down, which, hell yeah, I love it. I'm so here for it. And the day before classes start, which is just like Hell a yeah. beautiful time to do I love this. it. I love it. There were signs that said, hey, hey, ho, ho, this racist statue's got to go. Uh, they said, according to WRAL down in North Carolina, uh, there was a rope connected to something behind some of the banners, and then they heard a snap and a crack before the statue came down. So they tied a rope around it and then like sort of had it behind some of their banners and then just ripped it down. I'm here for it. I love it. Only one person was arrested. The uh the chancellor put out a whole statement at like 2 a.m. last night. The chancellor from Chapel Hill. Sort of saying that these actions were unlawful and dangerous, which they look to full disclosure, they can be dangerous. Like if you're going to go rip down a Confederate monument and I highly encourage you to do so. <laughs> Just please be careful. That's that's a good point. Be safe. <laughs> please safety first when you're taking down the old Confederate statues. So I mean that's just the latest, right? Like we had sort of an outbreak of this a couple of months ago, right. and uh, I'm I'm glad to see that it's still going. I'm glad to see the incoming students at UNC Chapel Hill are still here to take down uh, Confederate war monuments. Yeah, what well, is pretty incredible that I mean Charlottesville happened yeah. over a year ago yeah. now. Yeah, and uh, and we saw in D.C. recently that you know there's supposed to be another white supremacist rally, which there was, but then uh, a lot of protesters came out and actually completely outnumbered them. They're still um, out there. They're and, still out there. So we, we have to take a very, very quick break. We're going to take a, just a quick, quick break, and we'll be right back here with more of the Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining The Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn. Sitting in today, I am lucky enough to be joined by Elena Treen from Axios. Hi, Elena. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks uh, for having me. If you missed the first, like the start of the show, because I know a lot of our radio stations, they, they join in. Uh, they don't get to hear the start of the show. We put it all up in podcast form. Go get it on iTunes. It goes up right after the show. You hear the entire show. So even if you think you've seen the entire show, you haven't seen the whole thing. Uh, Elena is in studio to talk about, good grief, so many different things. There's so much going on. She's associate news editor and reporter. So you just like you just kind of have to have your hands on everything, right? Definitely. No, I mean, you can't <sighs> go to bed without waking up and having to read uh Everything that was published on our site or wanna, anything else that's going on yeah, no, because it's, it it's happens crazy. every every moment now. Let me ask you a question because I've made a conscious decision to die to, to stop digesting news as often as I used to. Like I'll just sort of like give myself a little news break. Well, I like go in and I like catch up. Mm -hmm. Like the constant keeping up with it, it drives me crazy. 
crazy. It drives me crazy. But you're young and you can handle it. You're fine. I'm, yeah, and I I'm chose like this. Man. I chose this. You not chose. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, in a in a weird way, I still love it all. Life chose you. So, uh, I mean, I mean, I do think breaks are healthy, especially. I mean, I think vacations are important. And sure, sure, sure. Taking a break from Twitter are important, but no, I'm I'm normally uh, always online and always reading the next big thing. That's God bless out, you. So bless your heart. <laughs> that's a lot. Well, I wanted to start out with something that we've talked about on the show, but it's, again, one of those issues that's a big deal but just sort of slips through the crack. The tariffs, the trade wars. Donald Trump infamously said trade wars are easy to win. Um, So he sort of started this trade war, and then now – let's talk specifically about the one with China. Right. Because we've got other ones with Canada and, you know, other countries with the tariffs and all that stuff. Right. But with China, we started this trade war with China, and now apparently we're de-escalating already. Like we're we're plotting a way and negotiating a way to end the trade war. How, how long was that? <laughs> well, no, I mean actually, this morning we did have a story. I mean, the president thinks he's winning this. Um, it's more that. So I did write a story recently, um, and several other officials had said that. I, I think China is really feeling the heat now. And uh, so they're hoping they started to kind of negotiate a framework for potentially cooling this off. Um, And they're going to President Trump and Chinese President Xi Jinping will uh, be meeting in November around a different summit. Mm -hmm. And um, they were hoping that maybe they could talk on the sidelines there and negotiate some of this. But in all honesty, the president thinks he's winning this. The president thinks that China is really feeling the heat, their economy is cooling down, and he wants to keep hammering them. So, I mean, they've tried <laughs> to have these negotiations in the past, and then they failed, and I really don't believe that uh, he's our president is willing to back off just yet. It's, you know, to to see the way that Donald Trump has handled so many, so many of these, like, high-profile summits or meetings or talks, whether it's North Korea or the Vladimir Putin disaster or any of this stuff, you know, I'm not optimistic that he's going to be able to go in there and, like, figure this out in a way that's advantageous to, like, us. But so I don't know. I mean, what's his strat? I mean, you're you're saying, like, he thinks he's winning, so, like... Yes. So, and so, I mean, honestly, so do his... his This is the one thing within this crazy trade policy and what we've seen with tariffs. Like you said, it's not just China. It's on several of our allies, Canada, Mexico. Um, But China is one place where a lot of administrations agree on. And several members of Congress are also telling him that China is the one that he should be pressing on. It's Mm. more that there are so many concerns with the other nations. And they think that we should be only isolating China, not going after other countries Um, at the same time, like NAFTA and different uh, trade agreements that we have. So, so if the Trump administration feels like they're winning this. How do Republicans feel? So, I think actually many Republicans do. So it depends. Sure. It depends on different things. So the auto tariffs, mm-hmm. um, which are something that could be coming soon, are something that Republicans. You could see. I would see that being the one issue that Republicans could potentially bring up a bill and trying to stop him from doing so or yeah. trying to erase. But I think with China, wow, like like congressional oversight. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, wow, it's interesting <laughs> that they actually have that power. Who knew? Right? Who knew? Uh, haven't been exercising much of that. Doesn't seem like uh, it. But no, I mean Bob Corker, who um, he's not running for re-election, so he only has, I guess, a few months to push this through. But he's been someone who's been very uh, big on this, and he's a Republican mm. from Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, He's been 
kind of saying if this continues, uh, we're seeing the damage being done on a lot of U.S. businesses uh, and small companies and also agricultural uh, states and representatives from there are kind of pushing this as well. But China is the one place where they have been, and I think no one will disagree, kind of stealing a lot of our intellectual properties. And this is something that the president had said he was going to do for a long time. So I think a lot of Republicans are like, fine, deal with China, but let's not hurt our allies. Yeah. The auto tariff stuff specifically Mm -hmm. is one of those things. I'm certainly not the first person to mention this, but like they would affect Trump country more than anything else. I mean, you look across the South and there are there's a BMW plant in South Carolina. There's a huge Mercedes Benz plant in Alabama I know of. I mean, they're they're all over the place. Right. And so like these are pretty tried and true Trump voters. Oh, totally. And this is the interesting thing. I think the president, he's really wants to be his President Trump's outlook on tariffs and trade is that he thinks that the world is taking advantage of the U.S. Sure. and that he's willing to put the country through a bit of pain to kind of show our dominance over other countries. But I mean, we're seeing I mean, and the same with uh, a lot of the Chinese tariffs that we've had or tariffs on Chinese goods. I mean, soybeans and things like that are really yeah. impacting farmers, and a lot of them are also in Trump country. And it is creating a bit of, um, I think, an issue with some of his base. That, I think, is sort of the guiding philosophy for just about everything that Trump does. He thinks that someone's trying to get something something over on them. On oh, him. totally. And that's, like, that's, that's really what it comes down to. Like what, what I talked about the windmills earlier. Like, he had this whole weird speech about the windmills and the birds... Uh, and all this stuff. And it's just like someone got one over on him by outlawing the windmills near his golf course. Uh, and that's what it really comes down to. All right, let's let's switch gears because I want to talk about some politics stuff because you wrote about who uh, could replace Nancy Pelosi if she... Uh, if she if she if she doesn't run for Speaker of the House, she doesn't win uh, election right. for Speaker of the House. And it could be... Another new exciting face for the Democratic Party, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, maybe? Someone new, some new fresh blood? No, it's... Jim Clyburn. Jim Clyburn. Congressman Jim Clyburn. Jim Clyburn. Don't get me wrong. I love Jim Clyburn. I think he's done a lot of great work. Jim Clyburn is old. I mean, it's the same age as Nancy Pelosi, which is one of the big things that, uh, why they're saying she's not keeping up with the kids. <laughs> I just, like what I mean, look, I, I again, I lo- I like Nancy Pelosi, and I like Jim Clyburn. I think they've both been amazing politicians, but I also think that if the problem is the problem isn't that we have to get rid of Nancy Pelosi in name, we have to get rid of Nancy Pelosi and the old style fading democratic politicians to replace him with some new blood. Jim Clyburn is not new blood. No. Uh, I mean, something that he really does have going for him and uh, is that he is African-American. Sure. And he would be the first African-American speaker um, if he did run and win the votes. But um, it'll be- By the way, by the way, you think that Republicans gave Nancy Pelosi a hard time for being a woman? Wait until you hear what they do with Jim Clyburn because he's a black guy. Like, I just, you know that they're going to villainize him just as much as they did Nancy Pelosi. I mean, no matter who, if if Democrats take the House in November, no matter who runs uh, and wins the speakership, uh, it will be they're going to go after them. Yeah, that's fair. But I also think that like 
Jim Clyburn will not be any less divisive uh, to Republicans than yeah. Nancy Pelosi is. It'll be the thing with Nancy Pelosi though now is that she's been someone who. I mean, look at Connor Lamb, who won yeah. a special election in Pennsylvania. I think I pointed that out in my story. He and a lot of others um, running for House, Democrats running for the House, uh, have used this idea that they're not for Nancy Pelosi and wouldn't vote for her and it's actually helped them in their races, which is incredible. Um, so that's something that I just like she is a very divisive person and you're yeah. seeing this within the party as well. At the same time, she is one of the top fundraisers. Yep. She's never lost a leadership vote. So it, it she's said that she plans on running and has no plans of stepping aside and she'll go through with it until they vote her down. Sure. So. Yeah, I mean, which, you know, you know what that means in politics. Absolutely nothing. But so, like, we'll just have to wait and see. So if it's, if it's, so we're looking at Jim Clyburn. Who else is out there that could, and I'm talking about, like, actual, fresh. Right, right. Well. Not fresh new faces, but, like, some younger generation of Democrats. Well, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I think that with this age of the woman and Mm -hmm. after everything going on with Me Too and, um, gender equality pushes from the left that we've seen a lot in these past two years uh, to have someone have a man take over from Nancy Pelosi could be really bad image wise. So I think that looking I that. at um, a bunch of different women, although honestly, the people that who have been floated have not been women. So uh, yeah. we actually thought that for a long time, Rep Joe Crowley um, from New York. Whoops. Yeah, he was expected. He was the number four uh, Democrat and was expected to be one of the the top people that would maybe replace her because he's much younger. He was in his late 50s. Mm. Uh, and then Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez came in and blew that scenario up. So uh, yeah. <laughs> he will not be a speaker. There's no chance of that. Um, Rep Adam Schiff, who's been leading, he's been the Democrat leading the uh, intelligence and oversight going on with the Russia investigation. He's a big name. A lot sure. of people uh, definitely people know him. Uh, so he's also been floated. But I wouldn't be surprised if a few women step up to the plate and put their name in the running. We just haven't really heard any top ones just yet. I'm trying to think of who's going to get the best nickname from Trump because you know as soon as it happens, it's going to just be constant all right. the time. Right. Um, okay, I want to switch gears again. I want to talk about uh, the Mueller investigation because you've been talking about this mm-hmm. a little bit. Donald Trump. Uh, well, so first of all, over the weekend, Rudy Giuliani really stepped in it when he talked about uh, truth isn't truth. truth. That's a quote. Quote, truth isn't truth. And uh, this all revolves around the testimony that Don McGahn gave to Robert Mueller. And the White House seems to be kind of freaking out about this. Donald Trump publicly is not freaking out about this, but all other indications show that they are like completely losing their mind over this. It's a big story. Totally. It's a big story. And the fact that, the thing is, this has been going on for nine months and we're just learning about this now. Um, so Don McGahn, White House counsel for. By the way, but, but that's a, that's again. That's just, <laughs> this is like one of the things with Mueller. Like nothing gets out of the He's Mueller not investigation, a leaker. Nope. not at totally. all. For everything that Donald Trump talks about, about like how he hates leakers, and yet everybody constantly leaks. Robert Mueller clearly does not like leakers, and actually does not allow leaks to happen. It's airtight. No, it, you, totally. you can't get anything out of him. I mean, 
there was one, I think, a couple weeks ago, someone spotted Robert Mueller on the streets of Washington, D.C. And he lives here. Yeah, he lives yeah, here. yeah. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, it's like bad news. he's been living in his basement for the past year and a half. Um, but no, so yeah, Mueller's team is airtight, and that's the way it should be. That is the way that it should work for yeah. all of the things leaking out of the administration and everything else. Uh, Robert Mueller's handling a very serious investigation and no matter how many reporters or officials try to tap in and leak information from there, um, you're really not getting anything out of it. But um, no, so this story with Don McGahn, uh, Trump's, the president, the president's White House counsel, um, has been doing several interviews, spent a lot of time with Robert Mueller and his team. Mm. Uh, and the really interesting thing is that President Trump, I mean, we saw his tweets over the weekend that he told McGahn to testify and cooperate. But I would ask you specifically about that tweet. OK. Is that. I mean, obviously, you can't say if it's true or not, because who knows? But that seems unlikely. Well, it's not an, as unlikely as I think it may appear. I think okay. that um, John Dowd, who's now out uh, of President Trump's legal team, but he had been running it for a while um, this year, he was very big on cooperation. And th- that the kind of idea there, and he was big on pushing the president to actually sit down with Mueller himself. And the right. idea was that we need to give get our side of the story out. Um, and the president really believed agrees with that. He still wants to, like he said, he would love to sit down with Robert Mueller. He thinks he has nothing to hide personally, so there's nothing personally to lose from doing that. Of course, his legal team is like, no, this could be a perjury trap. Um, A lot of implications there. But I do think that, uh, I mean, honestly, I think the big thing with this is that the president didn't exert executive privilege or give Don McGahn kind of the green light to exert executive privilege over certain things. So he had to be totally open in his testimony with Robert Mueller. Uh, that's the other thing. Like, that's where it's... That, that's the thing. Don McGahn, he's he's not a... Tr- I'm trying to figure out how to put this. He's not a Trump type of guy who will just sort of like BS his way through it. Like right. Donald Trump is very, very good at BSing his way through it. We all, we all see that. Uh, but the problem with that, of course, you've got to keep your story straight if you're going to BS. And he's just not very good at that. Don McGahn is just, he realizes the implications of lying under oath. Totally. And I'm not sure that Donald Trump understands and grasps the full implications of lying under oath. Well, uh, the president actually gave, uh, had an interview with Reuters yesterday, that, mm-hmm. or at least it was published yesterday. Yes. And in that, he said, it was the first time I think he really understood, you know, it could be, he said himself, I'm worried, concerned, it could be a perjury trap because he even said, even if I tell the truth, yeah. my side of the truth may not align with uh, what others are saying. I, I want to read his quote about that. Sure. He says, quote, so if I say, this is this is mostly in reaction to Rudy Giuliani's truth isn't truth, which is amazing that Donald Trump hired a lawyer to clean up his mess. And then Donald Trump has to go out and clean up the mess that his lawyer then made. So it's just like. And also at the same time. Truth is the bedrock of this country. Yes. It's, yes. it's unbelievable, especially and from a lawyer's perspective as well, um, just you know, speaking to Rudy Giuliani's comments, I mean, truth is what we're fighting for. Truth right. is totally this is America. Totally. But this is I mean, this is just sort of how they this is how I don't mean they necessarily mean Donald Trump, but certainly he falls into this category of like a lot of politicians. Like they'll just make the truth whatever they want it. it to be. Right. They'll just make it whatever they want it to be. And bend it. Yeah, exactly. So here's what he said in reaction to Rudy Giuliani's line about truth isn't truth. Quote, 
So if I say something and Comey says something and it's my word against his and he's best friends with Mueller, so Mueller might say, well, I believe Comey. And even if I'm telling the truth, that makes me a liar. That's no good. End quote. So they've turned it now into a he said, he said, which I would like to think that Robert Mueller takes it a little more seriously oh, than yeah, that. Oh, yeah, no. It's not going to be like that. No. No. Robert right? Mueller was, and I mean, to be honest, in the beginning when uh, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein had appointed Robert Mueller as the special counsel, the president and Republicans all said that was an amazing decision. Yeah. Robert Mueller is known as being a Republican. He's yeah. not. I mean, as much as the pre- President Trump will call him a Democrat and rail against him, uh, he's not. Um, so... And he he's he's very respected within the FBI and in the intelligence community, and he's doing his due diligence. I mean, granted, look at all of this in itself, too. The president's team said this was going to be over by uh, 2017, and we're well into 2018. Rudy we'll just, likely continue on. Rudy just said like two weeks ago this will be over by September 1st. Well, he wants it to be, at least the obstruction of justice yeah. part of the yeah, investigation. Yeah, yeah. He said that it should be over by September so that it doesn't influence the midterm elections. It's, but Spoiler alert, it is not going to be over on September no. 1st. This is going to drag on for a long time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're, they're sort of out of time here. They can't keep putting timelines on it because Robert Mueller is doing his own thing. It's totally separate from what the president and his team wants. Right. So exactly. They have it's... no idea how long it's going to take or what. I mean, and we're starting to really see these implications play out with Paul Manafort. Uh, George Papadopoulos is also probably going to be sentenced soon. It's Let me ask you a question up. about the Paul Manafort case. Because sure. they, yesterday they were back. The jury was back. Still don't have a verdict. Uh, how is Paul Manafort feeling about that? To be honest, I mean, this is what his lawyer and they say. But um, and I, I will say that the longer a jury deliberates, the probably the more doubt that means that they have. And yeah. I mean, to convict someone, he has to be without, you know, beyond unreasonable doubt. But um, I mean, this whole no matter what happens, it's a nightmare. Paul Manafort. It's yeah. a nightmare case. Totally. His career is over. He's in an enigma. I mean, I think the best thing to do, if he if he doesn't go to prison, which at this point seems unlikely, right. um, but it depends on what really the jury says. But even if he doesn't, he's going to have to exile himself. Yeah, somehow. exactly. Yeah, he's done. He's, he's going to be in no his own what. prison no matter what, uh, <laughs> no matter how he ends up. <laughs> his own personal hell. Right. Paul Manafort. Um yeah, it's 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 interesting that it's take that. I mean, it, it really has not taken that long. I know that like there are people that are freaking out that it's been you know a couple of days and the jury didn't immediately deliver a verdict. I'm willing to give them a little more time, right? Right before I like actually start to panic. Mm-hmm. If I were Robert Mueller, like I would start to panic a little bit if it drags out for another week or two. Mm-hmm. Um, what was funny on Friday was when we were expecting, right? Uh, the verdict to come through and I think one of them said that they wanted to be done by five so they could they had an event or a wedding or something that they needed to make it to wedding season like, hey, you gotta summer, do it summer a Prior- Friday in August priorities y'all I understand <laughs> um so finally the last thing I want to talk about last week was essentially all Amorosa all the time and it's kind of done. It's kind of it's kind of amazing totally. how these things happen. It's like we're just not talking I mean, the about the new it this cycle week. in this. It's insane. Yeah. There's always something else. Um but no, I also think that the Amorosa storyline is just a bit silly. I agree. Um, I 100% and people agree. don't want to make that the only story. But at the same time there are in 
insane implications. I mean, she was a top White House staffer. The fact that she was able to smuggle a recording device into the Situation Room is a mind box. I mean, I just don't understand how she did that. It's it's incredible that she didn't. Chief of Staff John Kelly didn't know. I mean, this whole thing was shocking, and that shouldn't be. That should be taken at face value. That was my biggest takeaway. Right. Not like, oh my God. These allegations that she made are so ludicrous and so salacious. And we should all f- star. right, right, right. She right, came right. from The Apprentice. I right. mean, they should have known what they were getting themselves into. But like, are they really run so poorly at the White House that like you have a staffer walking around with a recording device? And she probably did it on her phone. Right. I mean, we all have recording devices in our pockets. You know, like that's just how it works now. But. The, the, you're not allowed to have phones no, in the you, situation room. No, there are room. bins that you put your phones in before you go into the situation it's room. It's supposed to be one of the most secure rooms in the country. It's actually it, a collection of rooms, but yes. Yes. You're, yeah, no, you're right, actually. But, like, in that particular spot no, where, totally. where I she mean, was fighting, like, that is... It's, I mean, the national security implications for that are... I mean, that is the big takeaway from Omarosa. And, again... I mean, the thing, too, with her was this is, the, I think, also incredible. What the president said in relation following this entire scandal was that, you know, she never really did good work. Everyone said that she wasn't uh, she wasn't really doing a lot at the White House, which is true. Um, a lot of sources have told me that that's true. They don't really know what she did and um, didn't ask because they were afraid her of her. Out. He her he but he said he kept her around because she said nice things about me. Yeah. That is exactly what he said, word for word. And he oh was just like, God. is that the uh, oh the requirement for for a top White House I official? love how he came out and he was like, she's been fired three times. Well, who kept hiring her? He did! No, it's all in Trump. The president, this is all in the president. Um, he brought her in. He gave her a top White House salary. He put her in a position where she had complete access within the West Wing. Um, so, and now, I mean, it's super surprised that she's coming out and saying all these things. But this was, I mean, look at where she started. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, um, get some rest. <laughs> Get yeah. some rest. Take a little break from the news every now and then. You have my permission. Oh, you can okay. tell you can tell the folks over at Axios that uh, your old pal Peter told you it's okay. Take a little break. <laughs> it's just I'll so much. You, you're covering so much stuff, and I and, and you're doing great work, and oh, I appreciate you doing you. it. Elena Treen from Axios, uh, thank you so much for joining us here on the Bill Press Show here on the Tuesday edition, folks. We're gonna take a very very quick break, and we will be right back on your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. All right. Let's do it. Last segment of the program here on a Tuesday. My name is Peter Ogburn. Filling in for Bill. Got lots of good stuff coming up. Ellen Nilsson from Vox will be here uh, joining us very, very shortly. Uh, we do have a couple of comments on Twitter. At BP Show. At BP Show. Ray, we talked about how we were forming a band called Perjury Trap. Yes. Dominic says, I'll gladly play saxes and do horn arrangements for Perjury Trap. He spells it Perjury Trap, T-R-A-P-P, and says, got to have the two Ps in honor of the Steele dossier. That is such a good call. Yeah. But I think you missed um, the preliminary band meeting. We're not actually making music. We're not actually making music. It's just merch. We're just selling merchandise. Yes. It's 
we're a little avant-garde, I guess you could say. We're avant-garde. We're going to try a couple new mm-hmm. things. We're going to be a band mm-hmm. that doesn't play music. Uh, we're going to sell T-shirts for sure. Um, it's a modern commentary on the state of consumerism. It's and capitalism. It's art. It's art, folks. 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 <laughs> Buy our shirts. Just like in the movie. <laughs> uh, we're also, uh, as I mentioned, we're, we're tweeting at at BP Show. Um, thank you very much. I got a couple of comments um, about Beard Twitter is real, by the way. Ooh, I have Beard Chat Room comments. Oh Jesus! So I'm feeling a little self conscious because I got a I got a black button up shirt, right? But my beard has gotten so long that it looks like I'm wearing a priest collar. You can tuck it in. Like it looks like a, it looks like I'm wearing a priest collar, so you can't see that I've got like a little. Like it's summer. I've got like a top button undone. I'm I'm foot loose and fancy free. You got to go fully Enrique Iglesias and do half undone. <laughs> half undone. Half undone. Uh, nobody wants to see that. Uh, I got a couple of comments. David Holmes, thank you. He says the beard is epic. Um, I appreciate it. Beer Twitter is real. We also are in the chat room, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. What do we have, Ray? All right. Starting with another beard comment, Peter. Hit me with your beard comment. We have Go Blue Adam saying, so Peter's playing Santa this winter? Oh, kid, kid. That's, come on. <laughs> that's Try harder. <laughs> try harder. I've gotten that put down so many goddamn times. Try harder. I forget. Sorry, I didn't pull this comment. It was uh, probably 45 minutes ago, but somebody also said, oh my gosh, Peter has just gone like full hipster. But they Full also, hipster? They added the adjective annoying hipster, which I think is the biggest insult because I feel like the word hipster hasn't been a thing since like 2010 maybe. Right, exactly. Hipster is not. That's not a current category of person. It's not. If you wanna if you want if you've gotta label me, man, you can label me whatever. Aging stoner <laughs> dad, okay? That's what this look is. All right. Hipster, oh I gosh. am not. Hipster, I am not. <laughs> okay. Um, then we also have Cheryl P who says, going to the serious news here. Cheryl P says Hipster. there is no security in the White House. Forty five is totally responsible for Omarosa. She is his product and he deserves her. Kick his A, Omarosa. All right. Okay. And then we also have Jockey saying, at this point, policy needs to go back to what it was in 2015 before we ever believed there would be a President Trump, to which I say, good luck. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Give us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show, or else on the chat room, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Hipster, I I can't I you can't listen, get over it. That was the uh, you know you know what I listen <laughs> you know what I listen to you know what I listen to on the way into work this morning. Dreamweaver by Gary Wright. Okay, that's not, that's not a hipster. That's an old man song. Do you know what I listen to on the way in today? Tom Petty's Wildflower. Yeah, which is a great album. That album so is good. A phenomenal album. Uh, by the way, uh, I, I did get a chance to talk about this because I wasn't here last week. Aretha Franklin passed away. I'm sure it was it got covered. But you know what's amazing? About Aretha Franklin, by the way, top five for me. Always has been. Here's what happens. This is a real trend. When someone dies, their music becomes super, super popular. Not that her music wasn't already popular. You know what I mean, though. There's like a surge in, in listenership. So Aretha Franklin passed away last week. Billboard reported that her 30 Greatest Hits collection, which came out in 1985, do you know how many they sold? Do you know how much it went up? The The sales for that album increased 
12,693%. That's how many people went out and bought Aretha Franklin music. I just wish that they had supported her while she was alive so that she could have benefited from having this extra cushion. I, look, she Aretha Franklin did just fine. I know. I'm not, like, I'm not, I, but like, it's amazing. She's amazing. Amazing that, that like that's how many people went and bought new Aretha Franklin music. Okay. It went back onto the Billboard 200 charts at number seven. Peter, I feel like you're gonna love this, and I feel like you're also going to be sad. So you missed um, Mr. Presley, Mr. Elvis Presley's Death Day. You which, know I love Elvis Death Day, which was also sadly Aretha Franklin's I know. Death Day. I know, but. Here was the amazing thing. You didn't hear anything about Elvis. I know. She totally eclipsed him, which is exactly how it should be. Those of you who know me know that I have a bizarre fascination with Elvis. Mostly like the fat, druggy Elvis. Not his music. I, I, I'm not like a fan of his music necessarily or anything like that. I just find the phenomenon of fat, druggy Elvis doing whatever the hell he wanted to amazing. And Elvis Death Day? Totally Buried. Totally buried. As it should be. Totally buried. Aretha has a clip. No, no, no. I'll, I'll, yeah. no let, let me be very clear. Elvis Death Day should be a national holiday because he is com- he was completely insane. I'm glad that Aretha Franklin How do you him feel about now always saying Aretha and Elvis Death Day? Well, Aretha will you will you say that or here, is it still just Elvis Death Day? No, it's just Elvis Death Day. Because because Aretha Franklin was like a genuine talent and like changed the course of musical history as like forever and ever. And Elvis did in his own way too. Don't get me wrong. But I just love the quirky, weird S that Elvis did. And on Elvis Death Day, we get to talk about the crazy stuff that he did. Like beyond crazy. I, sh- I wish I had, I wish I had thought this is that clip of him just like rambling from the stage. I know. That's what I was going to say. I feel like you play everybody. it every year and you weren't here to play it this I'm year. So and sad. I couldn't, I couldn't pull it off playing it. It had to be you. I understand. I understand. I appreciate you trying to keep the keep the candle lit for me while mm-hmm, I was away. Mm-hmm, right? but mm-hmm. now I thought of you. Uh, so, but anyway, twelve thousand six hundred ninety three percent is what her is what her albums are selling. But that that is the highest that she's been on the Billboard music charts since she released her album Amazing Grace back in nineteen seventy two. The album also reached number one in Apple iTunes uh, chart. And Spotify has this thing called the Viral 50 playlist. So it's like mm-hmm. the 50 songs that around the world people are listening to the most. There, 50. 50 songs that people listen to the most. Eight of those songs were Aretha Franklin songs. That's yeah. amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. I love it. Also, did you see this story about the woman who was lost at sea? No. Dude, this is nuts. Okay. A British woman... Fell off of the back of a cruise ship, the Norwegian Star. She falls off into the Adriatic Ocean, uh, the Adriatic Sea. She's there for 10 hours. 10 hours. She said she treaded water, and she sang to keep herself awake. How did they know that she was missing in time? They saw footage of her. On like the close ca- uh, the the close circuit camera. She's so lucky. Board, so someone happened took, to be watching the well, right. They, well, they review this stuff, oh. and the, the, so so they, they they didn't see it for, until like two hours after she fell off, and they saw where it happened and what time they were able to find out where it was that she fell. They notified you know coast guards that in the area that she's like 
flew oh, up, my saw gosh. her, and found her 10 hours later. Is that insane? That's insane, and I am so glad that she's okay. I feel like this story could have had a very sinister ending. Yeah. Uh, her name is Kay Longstaff. She's a British woman. The Croatian Coast Guard found her 10 hours after she started Did they say her. how she fell off? I've been on a cruise ship no, before, and it's not easy to fall didn't. off. I was looking for that. I was looking for that. They didn't say how. First of all, don't go on cruises. That's that. that <laughs> don't ever go on cruises because you're locked into this space with people just riddled just disease. And like, if one person comes <laughs> on that's sick, everybody's sick. I'm not gonna get. You couldn't pay me to get on a cruise ship. There's a really fun essay about this by David Foster Wallace. Because, really? Yeah, you should read it. It's called a supposedly fun thing I will never do again. You know, I can't read or write, so I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna go into that. Hey, look who's here. It's Ella Nielsen from Vox. Hi, Ella. How are you? Thank you so much for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it's nice to have you here. You can read her great work at Vox.com, Vox.com. Um, so what's going on? How have you, have you been? I've what? been great. I haven't been in D.C. for the past few days, so I just got back in yesterday. Respect. So, yeah. I yeah, love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, let's talk a little bit about what's sort of going on out there, yeah. I guess. Um, Let's talk, I want to talk a little bit about the midterms. We talked about the yeah. midterms a little bit earlier sure. uh, because we saw some pretty exciting ones um, in, in recent weeks. I'm going to ask you a very unfair question, okay? but everybody gets it that covers the midterms. Will the Democrats take back the House? Yeah, I think at this point, um, I think that there's consensus. I mean, obviously, with the regular caveats of of we're not sure yet, um, you know, completely, but I, I think it's looking very good for them and it has been looking consistently pretty good. Um, I think for most of the cycle. So I think it's fair to say that the Democrats will take back the House. But I think the big question for me right now mm. is by how many seats will they take back the House to in, in order to like actually get power to be able to make right. policy? That's the big question right now, I think. So I, I agree with you. I think it's sort of a slam dunk at this point. They're going to get they're going to take back the House, the Senate. Uh, yeah, it's looking less. I mean, I think that there is there's a narrow path for them to take back. The I agree, if, by the way. If, if all things go well for them, if they I mean, I, I had actually completely forgotten about the Mississippi Senate race. Yeah. But like that is a thing um, that where they actually have a shot um, there, you know, Tennessee, also a long shot. But there's a very popular moderate Democrat running against um uh, you know, a, a woman who I'm trying to remember her name is Marsha Blackburn. Black, Marsha yeah, Blackburn. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. And and she's very conservative, very pro-Trump. And I think from what I've heard in Tennessee, it's like Republicans either love her or they hate her. So um, and and Phil Bresden, the, the Democrat that's running, former governor, pretty well liked. It's going to be interesting to see if Bob Corker actually endorses Marsha Blackburn or not, because um, I've heard he had a really hard time with that. He's had a really hard time. Yeah, exactly. You know, it. I, I agree. It's it's interesting to hear you say that because we have a lot of people on who cover the House and the Senate, right. and um, everybody seems to just think like the House is going to go Democratic, but like the Senate, forget it. It's not going to happen. But like it it could totally happen. Yeah, I think so. The path the path for de Democrats in the Senate is if they are able to retain all of their red state Dems. So Claire McCaskill. Um, Joe Manchin in West Virginia, John Tester in Montana. Um, those three Joe will. Donnelly. Those in three Indiana. will win. Joe Donnelly, I'm not sure about, but yeah. those three will win. Claire yeah. McCaskill's going to win. Joe Manchin's going to win. I John would Tester's say. I would win. say I'm feeling more comfortable for Joe Manchin and John Tester. I think sure. McCaskill's got a tough race, but she's very. She's a very tough politician, and she's won tough races before. And has also gotten very lucky. Yes. In her in her races. Yeah. So if they're able to hang on to all of those seats, and then able to flip Nevada. 
Arizona, which Arizona is an open seat. Yep. So that, you know, is is more of a shot than maybe some of the other ones. Tennessee and then, you know, maybe Mississippi, then, then they've got it. But that's all of those could be long shots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's definitely not a slam dunk. No, it's, it's not a slam dunk. It's definitely not a slam dunk. But I do feel like um, it's not as hopeless as some Democrats have made it out to be. Yeah. So uh, I, I love your the title of, of one of your recent pieces, uh, Less Than 90 Days Out from the Midterms. Things are looking good, but not great for yes, the Democrats. Yes, exactly. So I think that's probably right. I yeah. think they look good, but not not, not necessarily the the blue flood that people are hoping right. for. But we'll see. We'll see. Let me ask you about the leadership, because we talked yeah. a little bit about this earlier in the program, um, because... If you're running for House as a Democrat these days, you will inevitably get the question, will you vote yes, for Nancy Pelosi absolutely. to be the Speaker of the House? Is she going to run? Yeah, she's, she she's said, definitely she going, to she's going to run. She says she's going to run. Okay. So Jim Clyburn is also a name that's been thrown around. Yes. Um, what are some other names out there that could be the new face? But Which, by the way, I love Jim Clyburn. I love Nancy Pelosi. They both they're the same age. Time. Yeah, they both they're the same, literally they're the same age. So like. Yeah. I don't know that that's the new blood that Democrats are are hoping for. So what are some of the other names that we're hearing in the speaker's race? I have heard um, uh, Representative uh, Hakeem Jeffries from New York. Um, I don't. I dig it. Yeah. I totally dig that. I don't think um, if I don't know if he is going to openly challenge Nancy Pelosi. But that's a name that has been thrown around as like the person who's on the top of a lot of people's like wish list. Um, and yeah, he's young. I think he's, he's dynamic. Great. I think it's great. Yeah, totally. As, as one, as it was kind of interesting. As like, I was talking to to someone in Capitol Hill recently, and they were sort of like, one of the things that you just need to keep in mind is that the speaker's job is not necessarily like a job that people really want. <laughs> it's kind of Fair. a thankless. It's kind of a thankless job. It's yeah. like you you have to corral this huge number of people. Uh, everyone is you know is from all these different backgrounds of all these different political ideologies. It's not necessarily where your star goes to keep rising. It's kind of like you get there and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and like a lot of people, it was kind of interesting because I was saying you know. You know, Nancy Pelosi has been around a long time, and one of the things, one of the arguments that you could make for her staying in the job is that it's a job that no one else really wants, and like she is good at it. She is. I, I've said this a hundred times. Uh, like we we got in the habit of just calling it Obamacare. It should be called Pelosi. Yeah, Care. that is Pelosi Care. Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi made that happen. For that sure. is her baby. Yes. So it's so funny because I like I. I'm reminded of the Republicans trying to find a Speaker of the House, and they thought it was going to be Kevin McCarthy, and that got completely sunk. And then, like, Paul Ryan stepped in to save the day. Like, he's retiring. He's done. Right, yeah. It's like, it is it is a thankless job. It's yes. absolutely a thankless job. And, I, and not to make it too partisan, which is not something I'm above, but, like, I think it's a lot harder for a Republican Speaker of the House because you have so many different factions of Republicans there. You've got the yes. Tea Partiers. You've got the moderate. You've got, like, so many different uh, uh, factions of the party you have to corral. Yeah, right? and I think one of the big questions um, that I have, and that a lot of people have going into, um, you know, twenty nineteen, if the Democrats can take back the House, is will the Congressional Progressive Caucus sort of try to take on sort of the same like House Freedom Caucus mantle, where they're really trying to keep the party to the left, yeah. um, because they are a large caucus, they do have a lot of uh, sway, but. Um, I don't know if there is that appetite to really kind of use the same tactics yeah. that the Freedom Caucus has used to really force leadership 
to to keep to the conservative position right now in Republican leadership. So I want to uh, switch gears and I want to wade into some sort of dicey territory here sure. that you've written about um, the Me Too movement. Yeah. Um, first of all, I want to go back to uh, talking about the, the midterms. Keith Ellison won the primary yes. for attorney general in Minnesota. Just a couple days before that election, allegations surfaced about some abuse yes. uh, in, in, in his life. Where does that stand now? Because essentially, and and you can help tell me this. Can help me tell the story. Uh, a woman's son came forward said she, he had seen video of Keith yes. Ellison abusing his mother. Mm-hmm. Um, she came out and said, "I side with my son," but didn't yes. say much else other than that. If I'm not mistaken, no, she did actually put out. Oh, okay, a, she okay, put okay. out a she put out a pretty lengthy statement of her own. We reached out to her to to try to talk to her, and and um, she did not respond to my request for an interview. But okay, so basically, so Keith Ellison. Um, yes, the son of Keith Ellison's longtime girlfriend, who was active in like in the environmental justice movement in Minnesota, she was an activist. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, right, like a, just a few days, the weekend before um, the primary, which was last Tuesday, um, her son wrote this lengthy Facebook post saying, you know, Keith Ellison um, uh, was in a relationship with my mother for a long time, and there he was speaking specifically of one incident that he said he saw a video of, mm. which was basically them getting into a fight and Keith Ellison like dragging his mother off of a bed and and um, you know just being physical, and screaming and and things like that. Um, and so yes, yeah, so Karen Monahan, um, Ellison's longtime now ex girlfriend, um, came out with her own statement saying, you know, I corroborate what my son said. Um, but she said she wasn't, and she said there was video, um, but she said she wasn't going to release it. And that sort of still stands. Um, and CNN, I think before the Sun had written the Facebook post, CNN was trying to do this sort of lengthy investigative project. Her answers as to where the video is has have kind of shifted, but the video has not come out. Um, so basically we kind of have a he said, she said situation because while Keith Ellison confirmed that this woman was his longtime girlfriend and that they have since broken up, he's flatly denied um, allegations that he ever physically abused her. It's a really tough story, tough especially story. for Democrats. Yeah. And I think that, like, you know, we've had so many terrible stories similar to this. Well, and, and in Minnesota with Al Franken, you know, know. it's like <laughs> Minnesota I know. getting dragged through this stuff. Totally. And yeah. like, look, Al Franken, I think, probably had to go. Yeah. Uh, if if you're going to be a Democrat and you're going to, you know, fight that fight, Al Franken's got to go. I don't want to say that this is different than the Al Franken thing. And I also don't want to say that you must have some sort of physical evidence mm-hmm. that abuse happened on any level. But like... It is now just a he said, she said. Yes. And that's, is that just where we're going to leave it? Is this going to follow him around for the rest of his career or what? I mean, yeah. Is that the end of the story? I don't know. At this point, I don't know. I mean, so the latest that happened was the Minnesota Democratic Farmer Labor Party, which is just the state Democratic Party in Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. They endorsed Ellison this weekend. So, you know, they, for whatever reason, have, I don't, have come to the conclusion that they're still going to stick with him. Mm. Um, I'm sure Republicans, you know, the, the Minnesota AG's race is usually not doesn't have that many fireworks. It's usually like kind of the sleepy race. Sure. Um, it, it had gotten more attention because Keith Ellison obviously is is a national 
um, figure uh, being vice chair of the DNC and a congressman from Minnesota. Mm. Um, but then once these allegations hit, it just kind of blew up into national news. So I think that I'm sure that Republicans are going to try to, you know, make this into as much of an issue as they can before the general election because he still has to face a Republican um, in November. Um, so we'll see. And I, I honestly don't know if there is a process for um, the the state Democratic Party in Minnesota to nominate someone else. If it does come out that there this video does exist or there are further there's further concrete evidence that, you know, he he did do um, what what his longtime ex-girlfriend is alleging. Um, but, yeah, at this point, he's he is still on the ballot and he's still running. I want to read um, a couple of comments from Joel Heller. He's an Iraq War veteran from Duluth, Minnesota, who uh, is with the DFL's uh, Central Committee, who voted to endorse mm-hmm. Keith Ellison because Ellison came to them and spoke to them, uh, to their executive committee. And Joel Heller, this Iraq War veteran, um, said he asked Ellison three different times during the meeting whether or not he was telling the truth when he denied the allegations. And he said, no, they didn't happen, they didn't happen, they didn't happen. So Joel Heller says, quote, when someone comes up to you, they look you straight in the face, and when they say, hey, I didn't do it, you've got to take a person at their word. If he doesn't tell the truth, not only is he going to be branded a liar, he's going to be branded a liar for years to come. If he breaks our faith right now, it's going to devastate the party. Mm. That's what's at stake with, with these things. And I'm not saying anything about whether he's did it or didn't do it or whether whatever right but i'm just saying like if you are in that position it will absolutely screw the party yeah absolutely for years to come. If, if they've backed you and you have lied to them yeah yeah you also wrote another story about the me too movement mm-hmm. um uh asia argento yeah. who is one of the more prominent voices on the me too movement she uh had uh spoken out very strongly against Harvey Weinstein. Yes. Turns out she might have a little problem of her own. Yes. Tell yeah. us about that. Yeah. So, um, and I have to put in a plug for my Vox colleague, Anna North, who has written much more extensively on Me Too and, and this case than Tight. I have. But, um, but yeah, so Asia Argento is an Italian actress who was one of um, Harvey Weinstein's first public accusers and has, yeah, has been one of the, I would say, one of the movement leaders of Me Too. Totally. Um, and she, um, it, it came out this weekend, the New York Times, um, discovered that she had paid, I think, $380,000 in settlement money to a, a young actor named Jimmy Bennett, who, um, claimed that, um, when he was 17, she sexually assaulted him, um, in California, which is, you know, 17 is under the age of consent in California. Um, and kind of the more disturbing wrinkle to this story was that um, Bennett and Argento worked together on a movie, um, I think back in 2004, where yep. he, when he was a child actor, basically, and he played her son. Her um, seven-year-old son. Her seven-year-old son in a movie. Um, and they, I think, you know, that from the media accounts that they continued to sort of have a close relationship and she referred to him in social media posts as her son when he was in his teens. Ah, so, that's so creepy. Yeah, it's there's a layer of uh not not great. And not <laughs> to this. only that, like he apparently said something to her and she tried to pay him in hush money to the tune yes. of three hundred eighty thousand dollars. And he had asked for more money. He had he had served her a notice of intent asking for three point five million, I Good think. Good grief. Yeah. I mean look, 
there are a lot of ways you could take the story, right? But it is not a good look. No. At all. Very bad. Very, very, <laughs> very, very, very bad, bad look. And I think that she has done a lot of great work to highlight some of the monsters that are out there in Hollywood, but like Yeah. I think that and I think bad. the thing that, that me too, you know, activists are are trying to point out is that, you know, Yes, it is very bad, but the movement has grown much larger yeah. than than Asia Argento at this point, and obviously now comes to include uh, maybe the person that she sexually she assaulted. Herself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, uh, politics and policy reporter at Vox, Ella Nilsson. Thank you so much for joining us. You can follow her on Twitter at Ella underscore and underscore Nilsson, N-I-L-S-E-N. I appreciate you coming Yes, in. thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. Take care. That does it for the Tuesday show, everybody. Remember, we, are, uh, ha- we have our podcast up on iTunes. You can go get that right after the show. We put it up. Uh, and if you listen to the whole show, if you just caught this part, remember, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't necessarily get aired that we put in the podcast. So make sure you go check that out. Rate, review, subscribe, and also subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash show. And on the podcast front, by the way, remember, we put up special content on the weekends that we don't air during the week. We're going to be taping an interview uh, later on that we're going to be putting out this weekend. So I appreciate everybody checking us out. Follow the show on Twitter at BP Show. Have a great day. We'll be back tomorrow. This is the Bill Press Show.